Book One, Chapter Twenty Eight of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Chapter Twenty Eight christ our redeemer begins to call and select his disciples in the presence of the baptist and commences to preach the most high commands his blessed mother to follow him our savior having visited the villages in judea for ten months after his fast now resolved to manifest himself to the world not that he had spoken exclusively only in private of the truths of eternal life but he had not until then proclaimed himself publicly as the messiah and the master of life whereas now the time for doing so according to the decrees of infinite wisdom had arrived hence the lord sought again the presence of his precursor john in order that through his testimony since such was his office in the world the light might be manifested in the darkness john chapter one verse five by divine revelation, the Baptist knew of this visit of the Savior and of his intention to make himself known to the world as the Redeemer and the true Son of the Eternal Father. When, therefore, St. John saw him coming, he exclaimed in wonderful joy of his spirit to his disciples, Ecce angus Dei, Behold the Lamb of God. This testimony referred not only to his previous identical words in regard to Christ, but also presumed the more particular instructions which he had given to his close disciples. It was as if he said to them, Here now you see the Lamb of God, of whom I have spoken to you, who has come to redeem the world and open the way to heaven. This is the last time that the Baptist saw the Savior in the natural way, but Christ appeared to him just before his death, as I shall relate farther on. The first two disciples of Christ, who were with St. John at the time, heard this testimony, and moved by it, and by the light and grace interiorly imparted to them, they began to follow the Lord. Benignantly turning to them, the Lord asked them what they sought. John chapter 1 verse 38. They answered that they wished to know where he lived, and the Lord bade them follow. They were with him that day, as St. John tells us. One of them, he says, was St. Andrew, the brother of St. Peter, the other he does not mention. But I was made to understand that it was St. John himself, who in his great modesty did not wish to give his name. These two then, St. John and St. Andrew, were the first fruits of the Baptist's apostolate, being the first of the disciples of the Baptist, who followed the Savior in consequence of his expressed testimony, and without being outwardly called by the Lord. St. Andrew immediately sought his brother Simon and took him along, saying that he had found the Messiah, who called himself Christ. Looking upon Peter, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is interpreted Peter. All this happened within the confines of Judea, and on the next day the Lord entered Galilee. There he found St. Philip and called him to his following. Philip immediately sought Nathanael, and brought him to Jesus, telling him what had happened, and that they had found the Messiah in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael, having spoken with the Lord as recorded in the first chapter of St. John's Gospel, joined as the fifth of the disciples of Christ. With these five disciples, the five stones in the foundation of the new church, Christ the Savior entered Galilee for the purpose of beginning his public preaching and baptizing. In the disciples thus called, he enkindled, from the moment of their joining the Master, 
a new light and fire of divine love and showered upon them the sweetness of his blessings psalm twenty verse four it is not possible worthily to describe the labors undergone by the divine teacher in the vocation and education of these and of the other disciples in order to found upon them the church he sought them out with great diligence and solicitude he urged them on frequently by the powerful and efficacious help of his grace he enlightened their hearts and enriched them with incomparable gifts and blessings he received them with admirable kindness he nourished them with the sweetest milk of his doctrines he bore with them with invincible patience he caressed them as a most loving father caresses his tender and darling sons as our nature is base and uncouth material for the exalted and exquisite aspirations of the spirit and as they were to be not only perfect disciples but consummate masters of perfection in the world and in the church the work of transforming and raising them from their rough natural state into such a heavenly and divine position by his instructions and example necessarily was a vast enterprise in the performance of this work the lord has left a most exalted example of patience meekness and charity for all the prelates princes and whoever is in charge with the guidance of subjects not less significant for us sinners are the proofs of his fatherly kindness for he was not satisfied with simply bearing with their faults and defects their natural inclinations and passions but he allowed his tender kindness to overflow thus wonderfully toward them in order that we might be cheered on to trust him and not permit ourselves to be dismayed amidst the countless imperfections and weaknesses natural to our earthly existence by the means already mentioned the queen of heaven was informed of all the wonderful doings of our saviour in the vocation of the apostles and disciples and in his public preaching she gave thanks to the eternal father for these the first disciples acknowledging and admitting them in imitation of her son as her spiritual children and offering them to the divine majesty with new songs of praise and joy on this occasion of the choice of the first disciples she was favored by a new revelation of the most high in which she was informed again of his holy and eternal decree concerning the redemption of man and of the manner in which it was to be executed in the preaching of his most holy son he said to her my daughter and my dove chosen out of thousands it is necessary that thou accompany and assist my only begotten and thine in the labors which he is about to undertake in the work of the redemption the time of his suffering is come and i am about to open up the stores of wisdom and goodness in order to enrich men by my treasures through their redeemer and teacher i wish to free them from the slavery of sin and of the devil and to pour out the abundance of my grace upon the hearts of all the mortals who prepare themselves to know my incarnate son and to follow him as their head and guide upon the way of eternal salvation i wish to raise from the dust and enrich the poor cast down the proud exalt the humble and enlighten the blind in the darkness of death isaiah chapter nine verse two i wish to set up my friends and chosen ones and make known the greatness of my name in the execution of this my holy and eternal will i wish that thou my cherished and chosen one cooperate with my son that thou accompany him follow and imitate him and i will be with thee in all that thou shalt do supreme king of the universe most holy mary answered from whom all creatures receive their being and preservation although i am but vile dust and ashes 
I will speak in thy presence according to thy condescension. Genesis chapter 18 verse 27. Accept, O most high Lord and God, the heart of thy handmaid, which is prepared to sacrifice itself for the accomplishment of thy pleasure. Receive the holocaust, not only of my lips, but of my inmost soul, in obedience to the orders of thy wisdom manifested unto thy slave. Behold me prostrate before thy presence and supreme majesty. Fulfill in me entirely thy will and pleasure. I desire, O almighty God, if it is possible, to suffer and to die either with or instead of thy and my son. This would be the fulfillment of all my desires and the excess of my joy, that the sword of thy justice strike rather me, since I am closer to guilt. He is sinless as well by nature as also by the prerogatives of the divinity. All creatures are infinitely distant from his dignity, yet it is also true that any of the acts of thy only begotten is abundantly sufficient for the redemption, and that he has done much for men. If on account of this it is possible for me to die in order to save his priceless life, I am prepared to die. But if thy decree is unchangeable, grant me, highest God and Father, if possible, that I pour out my life with his. But in this also will I submit to thy will, just as I am ready to obey thee in following him and in sharing his labors. Do thou assist me with the power of thy right hand, in order that I may hasten to imitate him, and fulfill thy pleasure and my own longings. I cannot further describe in words what I understood concerning the heroic and wonderful acts performed by our queen and lady on this occasion, how fervently she desired to die and suffer on receiving this command of the Most High, either in order to exempt her Most Holy Son from death, or at least to share his death with him. Hence, if the fervent acts of love, even when they are directed toward things impossible, so highly oblige God, that if they arise from a true and upright heart, he accepts them as really effective and as worthy of full reward. What must have been the merits of the mother of grace and love in thus offering her life as a sacrifice of her love? Neither human nor angelic intellect shall ever reach this exalted sacrament of love, it would have been sweet to her to suffer and die. But it occasioned her much pain not to be permitted to die with her son, or to be alive while she saw him suffer and die, as I shall record later on. Hence, one can form some estimate how closely allied in glory Mary must have been with Christ, and how similar her grace and sanctity was to that of her model, Christ. For in all things she corresponded to his love, and rose to the highest point imaginable in a mere creature. In these sentiments, our queen issued forth from her vision, and the Most High again commanded her angels to assist and serve her in what she was to do. They, as the most faithful ministers of the Lord, obeyed, ordinarily accompanied her in visible forms, and served her wherever she went. Instruction which our queen and lady gave me. My daughter, all the doings of my most holy son prove his divine love toward men, and how different this love is from that which they have among themselves. Mortals are ordinarily so small-minded, niggardly, avaricious, and sluggish, that they are usually not moved to love anyone unless they see some advantage in the objects of their love. Hence the love of creatures is founded upon the good thought to be in that which they love. But divine love, having its fountain within itself, and being capable of effecting its own wishes, 
does not seek the creature because it is worthy, but it loves creatures in order to make them worthy of love. Therefore, no soul must despair of the divine goodness. Yet no one must on that account have a vain and presumptuous trust, expecting divine love to work in its effects of grace, of which he is altogether unworthy. For in these gifts of his love, the Most High follows a course of equity most mysterious to the creature. Although God loves them all and wishes all to be saved, yet in the distribution of these gifts and effects of his love, he undeniably applies a certain measure and weight of his sanctuary by which he dispenses them. Now as man cannot penetrate or comprehend this secret, he must take care not to forfeit or lose the first grace and first vocation, for he does not know whether he will not lose the second by his ingratitude, and he can be certain of not losing the second only by making use of the first grace. The soul can know for certain only this, that grace will not be denied if the soul does not make itself unworthy. These workings of divine love in the soul are accompanied by interior enlightenment, so that in the presence of this light, men are reproved for their sins and convinced of their evil state and of the danger of eternal death. But human pride makes many of them so foolish and base of heart that they resist this light. Others are hard to move and never fail to have some vain excuse for their negligence. Whence they counteract the first effects of the love of God and make themselves unfit for future graces. Now without the help of grace, men cannot avoid evil, nor can they do the good, or even know of it. Thus many cast themselves from abyss to abyss. For since they counteract and repel grace, and thus are unworthy of further help, they inevitably draw upon themselves ruin by falling from sin to sin. Be attentive therefore, my dearest, to the light which has excited thy heart, to the love of the Most High. For by the enlightenment which thou hast received in the history of my life, even if thou hast no other light, thou art placed under such great obligations, that if thou dost not correspond with them in the holiness of thy life, thou shalt be more reprehensible in the eyes of God and in mine, and in the presence of angels and men, than all the other human born. Let also the conduct of the first disciples of my most holy son, and the promptitude with which they followed him, serve thee as an example. Although his forbearance and kind instruction were a special grace, they faithfully corresponded to it, and followed the teachings of their master. Their human nature was weak, yet they did not make themselves incapable of receiving further blessings of God's right hand, and they set their desires toward much higher aims than their weak strength would be able to attain. In order to bring this faithful love in thee to its greatest perfection, I wish that thou imitate me in all the works which I have performed on this occasion, and in the desire to die for my divine Son, or with him, if it had been permitted. Prepare thy heart for what I shall yet reveal to thee, of the death of the Lord, and of my own life, in order that thou mayest in all things do what is perfect and holy. Consider, my daughter, that I have a complaint against the human race, of which I have spoken to thee at other times, and which applies to nearly all men, that they neglect and forget to inform themselves of what I and my most holy Son have done for them, that they do not weigh gratefully the blessings of each hour, nor seek to make a proper return. See that thou do not thus offend me, since I have made thee a sharer in these exalted secrets and sacraments, wherein thou findest so much light and instruction, and the practice of the highest and most excellent virtues. Raise thyself above thyself, labor diligently in order that thou mayest receive more and more grace, 
and by corresponding with it gather much merit and eternal rewards. End of chapter 28